1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you'll give them a call. You can uh, find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadena, our state senator. We'll find out what's new with Boo up in, Boo Madison, in, in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, Boo Mortensen. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of less government, and Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. It is October the 13th, and on this day in 1792, the cornerstone was laid for the presidential residence in the newly designated capital of Washington, D.C., In 1800, President John Adams became the first president to reside in the executive mansion, which soon became known as the White House because its white, gray Virginia freestone contrasted strikingly with the red bricks of nearby buildings. The city of Washington was created to replace Philadelphia as the nation's capital because its geographical position in the center of the existing new republic. The states of Maryland and Virginia ceded land around the Potomac River to form the District of Columbia, and work began on Washington in 1791. French architect Charles LaFont designed the area's radical layout full of dozens of circles, crisscross avenues, and plentiful parks. Those circles were created actually to defend the city of Washington so the military could see the enemy coming. But it's a beautiful city. In 1792, work began on neoclassical White House building at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue under the guidance of Irish-American architect James Hoban, whose design was influenced by Leinster House in Dublin and by a building sketch in James Gibbs' Book of Architecture. Uh, President George Washington chose the site. On November the 1st, President John Adams was welcomed into the executive mansion. His wife, Abigail, wrote about the new home. She said, I pray heaven to bestow the best of blessings on this house and on all that shall hereafter inhabit it, may none uh, but wise men ever rule under this roof. Well, there are a few that weren't, but irrespective, it's eight. 1814, during the War of 1812, the White House was set on fire, along with the U.S. Capitol, by British soldiers in retaliation for burning of government buildings in Canada by U.S. troops. The burned-out building was subsequently rebuilt and enlarged under the direction of James Hoban, who added east and west terraces to the main building, along with a semicircular South Portico and a colonnaded North Portico. The smoke-stained stone walls were painted white, Work was completed on the White House in the 1820s. Major restoration occurred during the administration of President Harry Truman, and Truman lived across the street for several years in Blair House. Since 1995, Pennsylvania Avenue between White House and Lafayette Square has been closed to vehicular traffic for security reasons. Today, more than a million folks visit the White House annually. It's the oldest federal building in the nation's capital. Love that city. Grew up in that area in Bethesda, Maryland. It was a great place to grow up. Well, the FDA, uh, Florida Department of Health, reported no additional deaths and 26 new cases uh, yesterday. You see the cases are staying low, and that's a good thing. just want to remind you that uh, the North uh, Fire Control and Rescue District commissioners each put up some money, about $500, so you can go to the uh, fire department and uh, get a free antibody testing And according to a Facebook post, so I encourage you to do that. And while you're doing it, uh, thank them for their service. It's just terrific that they're offering at the uh, North Fire Control and Rescue District uh, those tests, antibody tests for COVID-19. Well, an underreported, recently published CDC study added to a pile of evidence that cloth masks or other forms of mandated face coverings only contribute negatives Uh, To our COVID-19 problem, the study also displays, now this is from the CDC, despite the constant accusations of widespread misbehavior from public health officials that Americans are adhering to mask wearing, but mask wearing is not doing us any good. How about that? The CDC study, which surveyed symptomatic COVID-19 patients, has found that 70.6% of respondents reported always wearing a mask, while an additional 14.4% say they often wear a mask. That means a whopping 85% of infected COVID-19 patients reported habitual mask wearing. Only 3.9% of those infected say they never wore a face mask covering. The study offers Insight into the reality that tens of thousands of Americans are acquiring COVID-19 on a daily basis despite overwhelming adherence to mask wearing. Masks simply aren't working to slow the spread or stop the spread. The study also dismisses public health experts claims from the uh, individuals such as Fauci and others that Americans are not following the guidance being disseminated by the CDC and other disease control agencies. Americans are following the CDC guidance. It's not just working. There is no evidence anywhere in the world that masks are related to slowing or stopping the COVID-19 transmission. Moreover, there's plenty of evidence that universal mask wearing or mask mandates contribute countless negatives to society. And I'm, people do get sick from wearing those masks. I've seen evidence of that. So that, again, I just want to underscore here, CDC guidance that masks don't help. That's the CDC. While well, the World Health, uh, Health Organization piled on its warned leaders against relying on COVID-19 lockdowns to tackle the outbreaks after previously saying countries should be careful how quickly they reopen Mixed messages, huh? The only time we really believe a lockdown is justified is to buy your time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, or protect your health workers who are exhausted. But by and large, we'd rather not do it, said the the World Health Organization, the WHO. Well, the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday, uh, the chairman, Lindsey Graham, ended the first day of judge Amy Coney, Coney Bryant, Barrett <laughs> Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court confirmation hearing with a warning of a tough road ahead Monday's portion of the hearing ended before 3 p.m. as it consisted of committee members and Barrett delivering their opening remarks without engaging in any back and forth We begin tomorrow at 30-minute rounds, followed by 20-minute rounds. Just do the math. We've got a couple of long days ahead of us, Graham said, noting the time allotted in reference to the 22 senators who sit on the committee. So get some rest, he said. Uh, By the way, the opening statement from uh, Kamala Kamala Harris, uh, she decided to sit in her office in the same building as opposed to go to the uh, room. She, She was obviously her eyes. You could tell by her eyes she was working from a teleprompter. Unbelievable. So uh, it's going to begin at about 9 o'clock this morning. And uh, again, the <laughs> I, hope, I hope the Democrats behave themselves. But as I look at uh, Amy Coney Barrett, she looks like a very strong person and certainly up to the task. I think she will be quickly confirmed. So uh, let's just see here. On Monday, a Finnish parliamentarian wrote the Nobel Committee to nominate President Trump for a fourth peace prize. A member of the right-wing Finns party wrote to the Nobel Committee to nominate Trump for the 2021 Prize in recognition of the endeavors to end the era of endless wars, construct peace by encouraging conflicting parties for dialogue and negotiations, as well as underpin internal cohesion and stability of his country. His fourth Nobel Peace Prize nomination, and uh, you just don't see that in the mainstream media, do you? I certainly don't. Well, President Trump last night rallied voters in Sanford, Florida. He was just on fire. The place was packed. He had great energy. He's now full steam ahead on the campaign trail, and he'll be visiting several battleground states this week, including Pennsylvania, Iowa, North Carolina, and Wisconsin. Joe Biden didn't have such a good day. He confused Ted Kennedy for Klansman Robert Byrd. He also said he's running for the Senate. He forgot Mitt Romney's name and called him the Mormon. <laughs> he said he was in Pennsylvania when he was really in Ohio, and he directed voters to a non-existent website. Not a good day for the for Sleepy Joe. He was quick to dismiss voters who say they're better off than they were in 2016. A recent Gallup poll t- uh, taken September the 14th to the 28th, so it's re- recent, made headlines after it revealed that 56% of voters say they were better off now than they were four years ago. Just 32% of them said they were worse off. Now, this is actually right in the midst of the pandemic here in the recovery. It's amazing news. During an interview with Cincinnati's WKRC Local 12 on Monday, reporter Kyle Iskeep cited the Gallup poll and asked the Democrat nominee, why should people feel that they're better off today under a Trump administration? Why should they vote for you, he asked. Well, if they think that, they probably should Biden responded. The former vice president appeared surprised by the Gallup poll, but cited the stat incorrectly. They think 54%, now the number's 56, he thinks 54% of the American public believe they're better off economically today than they were under our administration. Well, their memory is not very good, quite frankly, Biden said. (laughs) <laughs> and in ad- addition to that, we have a president who's, he continued now, he, we have a president who doesn't share the values of most Americans. He's not very honest with the people. He's flouting the conventions relative to public safety in terms of even how not wearing the mask. A guy who's been a super spreader. But look, whatever they believe, they should go out there and vote. People should vote, period. Said uh, Biden. Well, Trump seized on the Gallup poll and tweeted that the poll was incredible. He wrote, 56% of you say you're better off today than during a pandemic than you were four years ago. And he uh, put in parentheses, "Oh, Biden, highest number on record, pretty amazing, tweeted Trump. Earlier in the day, the former vice president repeated the gaffe at a campaign event where he accidentally said he was running for, as a proud Democrat for the Senate instead of the presidency the guy is confused this is i think it's elder abuse quite frankly and he is simply a vessel he's a trojan horse he's a vessel but used by the far left get him elected and then uh, implement their amazingly left their progressive their socialist strategy for i quite frankly i think destroying the nation it's just very troubling it's so sad This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you will visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting um, with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We're going to do that more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a brand-new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. Three weeks from today, the election occurs. It's just amazing. I'm, uh, how are things stacking up, do you think?
2: <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm up in Tallahassee right now, and uh, it's it, interesting. It's kind of business as usual because the uh, state government goes on no matter what's going on with the election, mm-hmm. and we're right after the election, we have to have an organizational session. So what I've been doing Last couple of days is talking about what do we do once we come back, you know, to make sure we safeguard ourselves in the public.
1: Uh, Meaning safety precautions or?
2: Safety from the uh, COVID COVID. perspective. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, and I think this is an important point. No matter how um, uh, you feel about, you know, mask wearing, washing hands, et cetera, et cetera, we have a very slim majority in the Florida Senate. And if any of our members get sick, and I know, thank goodness, it seems that people who are getting COVID are, are not having as uh, rough symptoms and less hospitalization, but you still have to stay home. So imagine if people are ill and have to stay home and can't make a committee meeting, then we wouldn't have a quorum. And so we could have a situation where bills could die or those kind of things. So we have to think uh strategically in that perspective.
1: Yeah. You know what amazes me, at least this is an observation, I'm not sure if it's correct, but there are really hundreds of bills that are proposed or at least brought up in committees. Very few of them actually make it to the end, end up being signed by the governor.
2: That's right.
1: Amazing. That's right. Why is that, do you think?
2: Well, because if you have 2000 bills get filed each year, um you know, and each bill is referred to sometimes, mostly three, sometimes four committees, uh, and it takes a while for the process to get through the committee because bills are amended and changed, yeah. and then they the, the committee has to decide to hear them. And you know, there are a lot of bills that uh, we don't that a chair may not like, so it's up to the chair of the committee yeah. uh, to decide whether to hear it. If the chair doesn't hear it, it dies.
1: Right. Yeah, so um, interesting and, and I, I would imagine in amendments- some i'm i'm imagining in some cases the original intent of a bill could be changed because it ends up being having the fingerprints of so many committee members on it on the final result too
2: exactly and so if if it's a uh, an important bill for the, a member they have to make sure they work the bill and 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 see how many votes they have or don't have and that kind of thing yeah so um you know Bills, it's much easier to kill a bill than to pass a bill.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: So, you know, we're going to have our organizational session in November by by the Constitution two weeks after the election. Um, And no bills can be filed other than claims bill until then. Hmm. So there are going to be a slew of bills filed in November and December. And then we'll start in in January with committee weeks, and you know see how it goes. So how's it
1: looking? You know, for, so, how's it looking for ahead. maintaining the uh, Senate majority?
2: Well, we feel really good. Uh, we have um, right now we have twenty three. Um, we may come back with twenty five. We are working so hard. We're wow. raising money. We're um, we're running real good campaigns. We have very good candidates who really know the issues. Who really care about their communities and having good responses, even in the blue areas. Um, and so, you know, we feel very confident. The way uh, President-designate Simpson says, if if we lose a seat or lose a, a race, it won't be because we didn't give it 120% of effort. It will just be because we got beat. And uh, so we're not leaving anything on the table, and we're working real hard.
1: Uh, outstanding. Well, the president was in Sanford. Yesterday, mm-hmm. obviously, this is a battleground state for him. You know, all the evidence, we look at these polls, and you know, if Trump is tied with Biden, but Biden's in a lead. These polls seem to, I, the evidence I see with the signs, with the enthusiasm of the voters, everything, yes. and the lack of enthusiasm for Biden, nobody shows up for anything that he's doing, <laughs> quite frankly. Well, and you know,
2: the, the funny thing, this is what I hear. Um, the people that are voting for Trump, um, a lot of people, they're voting for Trump. Mm-hmm. The people that are voting for Biden, by and large, are voting for him, not because they're voting for him, but because they're voting against Trump. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many more people out there that are going to vote for Trump. A lot of them just don't want to admit it because, you know, he is a little different. Uh, so we'll see.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's not a vote for Trump. It's a vote against socialism and all the things that attend to it. I mean, it's the lack exactly. of law and order, or the open borders, the... Right. You can go down the list. I mean, it would be a total disaster, in my opinion, if Joe Biden were elected. I think he's a Trojan horse, and these people on the left would simply use him as a way to implement their socialist strategy and destroy America. I think.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: That's your sentiment um, as well. Well, so it, it'll be interesting as it we will get be, closer.
2: We'll see more and more. I think. I think the media has um, turned off people. Um, to the point, you know, the attacks on Trump are getting more and more outrageous, and I think people are starting to say enough's enough. So I think that'll be interesting, too.
1: It will. Uh, final question, any any comments on Amy Coney, uh, Coney, Coney Barrett's uh, nomination in the process right now? She she looks just stunning to me. She looks so confident, so calm, and so yes. her demeanor is just outstanding. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, um, you know, that's, that's what everybody you know, I, obviously, I didn't get a chance to uh, watch the hearings yesterday, but everyone that did was uh, very impressed by her demeanor, her thoughtfulness, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, her colleagues, in, including the American Bar, all have said that she is, um, the uh, she is qualified for this position. So I think it's going to be hard for the Democrats to do anything. All they're just talking about is Obamacare, which, you know, is, I don't know, it's sort of a subterfuge. It's, yeah. People
1: aren't listening. Uh, absolutely. And it's not the president trying to get rid of it right now. It's, it's at the Supreme Court for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> <So
2: let's, laughs> <I know. laughs> take your, pick your poison. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Uh, Kathleen, I just genuinely appreciate your kind. I know you're extremely busy in up in Tallahassee right now. Thank you so much for your commentary here on the show.
2: Thank you. And you have a great day.
1: You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, we're going to find out what's new with Boo. Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Harden show. And now here's your
1: host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. One of their initiatives is create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. Booth, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Well, it's my pleasure, and as I said to you off the air, you know that these are such crazy times that almost nothing can happen that will surprise you anymore (laughs) because there's been so much that's gone on. But really, these men that get together and think that they're going to kidnap the governor of Michigan and that they're going to be able to pull it off, can't you imagine what their meetings were like?
1: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, they're uh, you know, they wanted to blame it on Trump and call him white supremacists. But the fact of the matter is, these guys, the, the leader of the group, leader of the PACs, hates Trump. Apparently, he just wants to t- tear down the, uh, the United States government. So uh, he's going to start with the governor of Michigan.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. And the, and the amazing thing, it's not so amazing that he found, what, six other guys that said... Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's
4: do that.
1: <laughs> it's true. It is so true. Well, these are strange. To your point, I mean, you can't make the stuff up. What's going on right now? If, uh, Portland is still burning. Uh, nobody, you yes. know, they, they, the the uh, I think his name is Mike Brandt. He's the uh, district attorney up there. He's not putting anybody in jail. He's not holding anybody accountable. So they just continue to burn the place down. Uh, and apparently up in Seattle, maybe it's in Portland, I'm not sure, the mayor, mayoral candidate who's in the lead right now is a member of Antifa, supports the Antifa agenda. You can't make this stuff up.
3: No, you can't. he will probably get elected yeah. because it's Seattle.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. And,
3: you know, you mentioned something about uh, um, disruption in Wisconsin. And, yes, it is. There was a big uh, riot in Waukesha. Milwaukee Shaw is about 45 minutes from us. It's uh, kind of a
2: a community
3: outside of Milwaukee. Uh But, you know, they're picking these places, and it'll happen in Madison. It's been quiet for about two days, but it'll, you know, they'll be back.
1: Isn't that frightening? I I don't know what
3: they're getting out of this. You'd think they'd have riot fatigue.
1: I, I don't know. You know, they're trying to tear down America. I think they're being funded by the likes of George Soros. I can't. I don't have proof that he's funding all this, but somebody has to be funding it and directing the activities and making it happen. So it's just a, a very sad occurrence. It just, in my mind, just making it all the more important to elect President Donald Trump. Law and order president. I think, you know, if if he wins the election, and I believe he will, I think it will be a clear message that we want stability, law and order. We want our borders secure. We want a good, strong economy. And, and not the nonsense that's being proposed by Joe Biden and the left.
3: All right, so that brings me to my next question. If you were Joe Biden, would you want another debate, or would you just let Trump uh, um, just keep going as he is? If you were Joe Biden, what do you think? Do you think it would be better that you go out and debate again? What do you think his campaign um, group is telling him? Push for the debate or, nah, do what you're doing. I mean, his, his, usual. You're
1: ahead His his gaffes are so amazing to me. I mean, uh, appa- yes. Apparently, he was. You know, you can't prove it, but he was wearing an ear thing, and uh, he was getting information and how to respond to the questions in the last debate. I can't prove it, but I do believe it. And uh, so, I think he has that kind of support going on. He did a good job, I think, in the debate. And, you know, all all things considered, he, he actually surprised me by actually not getting, becoming totally befuddled and confused. So the the bar was low for me in, in how he was going to perform, and he, he outperformed my expectations. But if I were them, I, you know, I, that's a great question because I just don't believe the polls. I don't believe, I do not believe that he's in the lead. I think these polls are totally skewed uh, to the left. Yeah, I do too. Do you? I do
3: too. I think it's, again, another example of fake news, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's my thought as well. So if I were him, that's the question you asked. Am I evading it? I'm trying not to. (laughs) Okay. I guess uh, it's a toss-up for me. I don't know uh, what would be best. I suspect he'd probably be better off just uh, staying in his basement. Yeah. What do you think?
3: I think so, too. Yeah, I agree. I think that he's not ruffling any feathers. They think, you know, all the polls say that he's ahead. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it now. I mean, it's broke, but um, <laughs> they're not going to make it worse. Because he could do very poorly. So I think that they're going to push to have no more debates. That's what I think.
1: Yeah, well, you know... They and, f- uh, you
3: know, who knows what Trump's going to do?
1: This whole thing reminds me of The Wizard of Oz, this guy behind the screen, basically. I mean, you've got the fake news, you've got the the polls. I think that you, when you talk, take a look, he went to an event... Uh, that uh, nobody showed up. I mean, literally, no one except his staff and reporters showed up. That was in Phoenix, Arizona, if you can believe that. And you, you know, they held a car rally uh, f- for President Trump. 30,000 cars come out. They hold one for Biden. 15 cars show up. <laughs> Where's the oh, enthusiasm? My. There is just no enthusiasm. for. you see any Biden signs? You must up there in w- Madison, Wisconsin. They're everywhere. Are they?
3: Biden signs are everywhere. I cannot begin to tell you how many Biden signs. And in Dane County, in communist Dane County, uh, I have yet to see a Trump sign. Now, if you were brave enough to put out a Trump sign, I believe that someone would steal it.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, there is that sentiment, isn't it? Well, Boo, you know it's going to be. Yeah,
3: but if you go north, if you get outside of communist Dane County, Uh, there are a lot of Trump signs.
1: Hmm. You
3: just have to get outside of Madison before you stop to see them.
1: So interesting. Okay,
3: so this is my... um, This is is, uh, something that was started in the Netherlands. And if you want calming because everybody is agitated, everybody's irritated, uptight, and you know how they have those emotional support animals? Yeah. Well, what you can do... Is hug a cow? You can go <laughs> cow hugging.
1: You could do that in Wisconsin.
3: <laughs> well, they got cows somewhere in Florida. i well, sure there are a they- lot of cows here.
1: So, what's the deal can with? Can you
3: believe that?
1: What's the deal with hugging a cow? How does that benefit? Well, of course now. Well, they
3: say that the calming effect of curling up with a small pet is accentuated when the cuddling is with a larger animal. And cows seem sweet. You know, they've got long eyelashes. They've got furry little ears. And, you know, they seem kind of passive and happy. And you just go out there and hug a cow. makes you feel better.
1: Yeah, well, that's what those Hindus over there in India, I mean, they've got cows walking all around <laughs> all
3: over the yes, place. they do. <laughs>
4: that's but a... I don't
3: think they're thought of in the same way <laughs> as what they're doing in the Netherlands. Now, what we have in Wisconsin is we have manure throwing contests. That would calm you down.
1: It was, you know, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. They get these uh, c- uh, cow pies, right? And they, yeah, and yeah. they, uh, they kind of throw them like frisbees, right?
3: Yeah, manure throwing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a big sport here, Bob. You don't know. I could bring some down to uh, Naples, and uh, we could have a manure throwing contest. <laughs> well,
1: they might the uh, pies might thaw out down here. You may want- <laughs> I rethink that boo Frozen, <laughs> you know. So well, anyhow, you got to be looking forward to coming back to the Paradise Coast.
3: Oh yes. Oh my heavens! It's you know. I'll tell you. In many ways, Naples and I, I love it dearly, but it's sort of isolated from uh, some of the violence and some of the stuff that's gone on. And being in Madison, being front and center, witnessing a lot of it, witnessing uh, the horrific impact of all of this, of businesses closing permanently, it's been a real education, I think, for both Lauren and me to see the downside to all of this, and it's bad.
1: It is bad. And,
3: you know, a lot of restaurants are making it because they've got seating out on the streets, you know, and you can do that in Florida. You know, today the high is going to be 64 uh, you can't do that in the northern part of the United States for long, and uh, they say that one hundred thousand businesses, one hundred thousand restaurants, closed this year.
1: Yeah, it's it's a sad deal for sure. I hope they can get this stimulus thing uh, solved somehow, some way. We need to keep these businesses open because if they close, it's a long journey back into business, and people usually they sometimes never open. So. Boo, I always um. appreciate your commentary here in the show. I look forward to your return, and uh, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Go cow cuddling. <laughs> All
1: right. Thank you, Boo. Uh, Later part of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Seat Motley, the founder and uh, president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Well, I'm working hard trying to get this uh, file open.
0: Come back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And I hope you'll visit the website, get some tickets, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with Seaton Motley, the founder and president of of uh, less government, Seaton. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm well, Seaton. Tell us about less government.
5: Yeah, we exist. a the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government. And I'd like to say that I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth uh, hey so seaton you wrote a great column i just enjoy your commentary so much in red state and your last one is about 5g government 5g you raised the question the deep state military industrial complex looks to expand its unwarranted influence what a timely comment uh col- column maybe you could tell us about it
5: yeah uh, you know I, I eisenhower gave us. you know i i was a I've come a long way uh, on, on my approach to the military. I've actually joined a, a small little insurgent group of mostly libertarians who want to reduce the size of the military because it's, it's wasteful, too. I mean, I, for a long time, what I thought for a long time was, well, at least it's wasteful and it's constitutional. Mm-hmm. I'd rather concentrate on the Commerce Department, which, you know, shouldn't exist at all, rather than the military. Right, But... You know they're really starting to get out of control now. In part because the left has focused on it for decades now, and now you've got a—you know—you don't have any old school, hard-nosed conservative generals as much anymore. You've got the the uh, Wesley Clark's, you've got the uh, McChrystal's. You know, you've got these wussy leftist generals who are better, who are po- good at playing politics and not good at playing war. Yeah. Um, that move up the food chain. And they want to, they're like, they're like any other activist leftist. They want to do things they shouldn't be doing. Right. And that's what Eisenhower warned about in his 61 speech as he was leaving the White House. That, that we've, we, as a result of World War II, he set up this massive military establishment. And it's an organism. And just like any other organism, its first priority is to survive. And it's next is to grow. And they're constantly looking to do things. Well, of course, we have the private sector who's worked for years and years now and spent tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars developing the private sector 5G. And that's why we're leading the world. And that's why we're close to almost national, universal 5G, months, months away, if that. And all of a sudden... The, you know, the the Pentagon says, well, we want to do 5G. Well, no. And, and there, there are, of course, are excuses, national security, um, uh, with China and all that. Well, the private sector will handle that a whole lot better than you guys will, you clowns.
1: Well, um, yeah, you know, you... I mean... You you make a great point because the, the the fact of the matter is if you take a look at the uh, apparently the website for the State Department is is so vulnerable compared to other websites uh, yes. that are for the private sector. I think your your column is. I'd like I want to make this comment though. I think this is so appropriate what you're discussing right now because the generals have come out and said uh, that uh, Trump is making a big mistake by leaving Afghanistan. I mean, war's a racket. These guys are highly invested in that whole process, and uh, quite frankly. I think you're absolutely right on in your commentary as was Eisenhower.
5: Yeah, oh, you know he you know he absolutely was and of course who would know better than Eisenhower? He was the supreme allied commander in Europe. Right. So he saw, he oversaw the growth of this thing he now realized was a problem. I mean, he was in charge of it. Yeah. Um at least uh, you know one theater of it and and of course that had a lot to do with, you know, he wasn't in Europe. I mean, he was in Europe a lot, but he was also in D.C. a lot as this, was, as this giant edifice was being built. And so you've got, you know, we're leading the world in 5G precisely because the government is so uninvolved in it. And now you've got the, you know, you've got Trump on multiple occasions saying, I'm not for national 5G. You've got his old spokeswoman, uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, From the podium, we're not for National 5G. I was at a speech Mm -hmm. given by Larry Kudlow, the National Economic Advisor, I forget his actual title, where, where he said... We are not for meddling in 5G. You, 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 the private sector is doing fine. We, we, we will, we will do, we'll do best by leaving it alone. So you've had multiple officials that Trump can trust. I think you know. Obviously, he could trust Sanders. He obviously can trust Kudlow, saying we're not for this. Trump himself saying we're not for this. And yet the it, national security morons and the, and, the, and the Pentagon morons are pushing forward with it anyway. They just announced 600 million dollars being spent. On developing some sort of inner military base, five G, and it's like, why? ATT's is doing it for you right now. Uh, what so, are you doing?
1: So, how close? I, I mean, is this could this really happen?
5: Well, you know, six hundred just to, you know, six hundred million dollars is a drop in the bucket. To you know, it, it would cost. Ten, it, they would have to dedicate tens of billions of dollars. They would also have to uh, leech. Uh, 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 engineers and, and electricians and everything from the existing private sector in order to get people in the government to do this. Hmm. And I just can't imagine that they would bleed off. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where they got the $600 million. I, I, I guess this is one of those stupid things that the Democrats and, and the, the, the control of the House stuck in a budget. And then, and, you know, Trump was forced to sign it because we always lose these stupid shutdown fights. And, um, and so I, I don't know, you know, maybe they reallocated from somewhere else. I don't know. But I just can't. <laughs> I don't want to waste the money. We're, this is this is throwing six hundred million dollars into Goodland Bay for yeah. no reason. You know, I, you know. I, t-
1: I totally agree with you, Seton. I, and I think I also want to point out the fact that the Trump Trump obviously supports the military. He believes a strong military c- keeps the peace, and uh, I certainly agree with that. But I agree with your point that the bureaucracy, like the uh, military industrial complex will not only uh, lives to survive but also to grow and these uh, military guys that are now in the bureaucracy they don't necessarily support Trump's agenda they they're looking to build their own power well, and, and, and Trump
2: is reducing
5: they don't support Trump's agenda I mean like you said with Afghanistan you know we've been there 18 years that's not enough you know <laughs> yeah. we we gotta stop trying to turn it into the 51st state yeah um it's not gonna happen and and so what happens is Trump Reduces the scope of things, the, the, the number of things the Defense Department's doing, so then the idle bureaucrat hands are the devil's playground. They start looking for other things to do, like developing some government. Uh, warped version of 5g
1: yeah well of course uh, as you've pointed out in so many interviews and I really appreciate this point is that right now the internet is a free market Xanadu are there things that could be approved or you, th- you like to see a lot of these messages go away absolutely but the point is it is free market and what has it done in order to improve our lives in order to uh, uh, make access to have be able to do a show like this I mean to to you know for right. me it's flat.
5: Every time I see a Biden ad where he says he's going to reduce the cost of health care, I'm <laughs> screaming at the television, um, Obamacare doubled premiums and triple deductibles. What the hell are you talking yeah,
1: and about? Yeah, and so so they want to fix health care. Their, their promise is they want to improve Obamacare. I mean, it's the worst. Th- that to have a, a single-payer system would totally destroy the health care system in the United States. Yes, it would. Unbelievable. Again, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit the website, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on uh, Facebook. Seton, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, with any luck, I'm going to get this commercial break to play. We're going to visit with uh, Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. This file will not open, folks. There it is.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting
1: Network.
0: Bob
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board. I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus for the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us.
4: It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Larry. And tell us about uh, just a fantastic organization. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education.
4: Okay. Your listeners can learn a lot more about us by visiting our website, which is org, And there you'll see uh, lots of daily commentary about uh, uh, present-day issues as well as historical accounts and commentary. And uh, we do programs also for high school and college students all over the country. Many have gone online uh, during the pandemic, but we're still reaching tens of thousands of young people uh, each year. And uh, we're uh, really int- intending to educate and inspire young people in ideas of individual uh, responsibility, private property, limited government, free enterprise, and personal character.
1: You know, I think just your voice in the community and for young people right now is so important when you think about the context of kids going to government schools and what they're learning in college right now. I mean, it's so important that kids are exposed to your ideas. And I just encourage our listeners, if you have a young person in your life, do help them learn about the foundation for economic education. You'll be very happy about it, and I have a great impact, a very positive impact on their lives. And Larry, you wrote a story, which is this is just a great object lesson about taking responsibility and doing having an uncommon life of Bessie Coleman. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yes, Bessie Coleman was quite a remarkable uh, young woman. She was born in 1892. Uh, Grew up in Waxahachie, Texas, uh, living on uh, a dirt floor in a cabin, and uh, her parents were uh, cotton sharecroppers. Her mother was African-American. Her father was part African-American and part Native American, uh, we believe either Cherokee or Choctaw. So uh, she grew up with uh, the disadvantage of, of poverty as well as being of minority blood which always presented uh, obstacles just about any place in the world. Yeah, but, She's also one, know, of
1: a, one of 13 kids, as I recall.
4: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, uh, you could sulk or complain or get mad uh, about such a situation as that, or you could do what Bessie Coleman did. Uh, she overcame barriers with uh, spunk and uh, ambition. She, she determined early on that she was going to make something of herself, and she did that uh, in, of all things, aviation. Uh, she moved to Chicago at the age of 23, mm-hmm. and there while working in a barbershop, uh, she heard of people flying airplanes in uh, Europe, which was at war at the time. And uh, she was t- uh, taken by that and decided she wanted to be a pilot. But, of course, she had to save uh, her money. It took her four or five years to do so because she had to go to France uh, to take pilot lessons. There just weren't any... American pilots, they were all men at the time, uh, white men, who had any interest in teaching a black woman how to fly. But she got her license in France hmm. uh, uh, in less than a year, came back to the United States. This was even after she took a Berlitz course to learn French, before she even went to
1: France. Amazing.
4: And then when she came back here, she uh, almost instantly became known as one of the most remarkable barnstorming, stunt flyers uh, in the country.
1: You know, uh, just to, uh, th- that uh, thought about France, I think the Wright brothers actually went to France, if I'm not mistaken, after inventing uh, the airplane, and uh, they spent two years, a couple of years there, actually being uh, valued and, and uh, lauded by the, uh, by the French people. Apparently flying was more exciting and a bigger deal for, uh, for the French than it was for the Americans.
4: Well, the French have always uh, shown a special interest in uh, putting people up in the sky. They yeah. pioneered in uh, ballooning, uh, huh. even, yeah, even though it was the Wright brothers over here who actually invented the plane.
1: So, Bessie, I mean, she came to, back to America, and she was traveling all over the country doing stunts in her airplane, but it didn't end well.
4: No, it didn't, unfortunately. Uh, Over five years, she was appearing at air shows. She was celebrated uh, all over the country for her daring uh, stunt flying. But it was in 1926 when uh, she uh, failed to fasten her seat belt. There was a technical reason uh, based upon uh, the particular stunt she had in mind. Uh, why she didn't uh, uh, buckle the belt, but uh, with a little turbulence uh, she was thrown from her plane uh, over Jacksonville, Florida and uh, uh, died instantly upon impact.
1: Ah, What a story. What a life. But again, uh, I think it's so important. I just take a step back and talk about uh, the writing that you do in many cases is to help young people and understand the inspiration of an uncommon life of people who don't necessarily have all the cards stacked in their direction. That uh, where She clearly had so many obstacles to success in her life being a sharecropper's child, you know, certainly uh, live a life of being a victim, but not Bessie. I mean, she went out and did uncommon things and had an amazing, amazing life, even though she lost it tragically.
4: Absolutely. I think we owe our greatest gratitude to the uncommon in our midst, uh, not the common.
1: So true. Larry Reed, again, the President Emeritus for the Foundation for Economic Education. I encourage you to visit fee.org. Just not you, but also if there's a young person in your life, either high school or college age, fee.org. Help them learn more about the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, coming up tomorrow, we're going to be visiting with Larry, uh, with Bob Levy. He is the chairman uh, of the Cato Institute. He's also a constitutional scholar. Uh, we'll also visit with Andrew Joppa. Andrew is a professor. Uh, he's also author of Josephus of Oz, a terrific reader. And Also, Larry Bell, he's a professor at, uh, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture. He's written several books uh, his latest is uh, How Everything Happened, including us. So we look forward to that conversation with Larry. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobhardnethotmail.com, at bobhardnethotmail.com. If you'd like to get on the newsletter that I send out every day, uh, please uh, uh, just uh, mention the fact that you'd like to receive that newsletter as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.